It's always a great moment, isn't it, in the life of the church to think about baptism and our life in Christ and the fact that we're all children of God and how all the dots connect when we think about our our being children of God, whether we are here within this sanctuary, whether we are serving the children of God in Immokalee, whether we have the apostasia, or whether we will have the opportunity even in the Day of Hope, which is coming up in a few weeks, you'll have the chance to sign up for that when you go over to the Palm Center and uh, have fellowship. So lots of opportunities for us to be uh, the love of God that is extended to all the children of God, whether they are here or whether they are uh, far away. So as we've been saying, today is Trinity Sunday, and uh, it is a day when we reflect uh, in the good news that we know a God who manifests God's self in the form of three persons. Uh, Presbyterians are militantly Trinitarian, meaning that we seek to understand that there is this uniqueness that we believe that uh, is inherent within God, that God is three persons in one. And so we even set aside a day, as do other traditions, to celebrate that and to rejoice in uh, the uniqueness by which God reveals God's self to us in, um, in his personhood. So to that end, uh, we find in the Gospel of John many references that Jesus makes to the, uh, the nature of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and one of those references is found in John chapter 14, when Jesus is together with his disciples the night before his own death. Uh, he spends time talking to them about the nature of the Trinity and his relationship to the Father and to the Holy Spirit. So verses 25 through 31 find us in this uh, conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. Hear the word of God. I said these things to you, Jesus says, while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I am coming to you. Well, if you love me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father, because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe. And I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no power over me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us be on our way. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O oh Lord, that you will, through your Holy Spirit, allow us to understand these words just read, and that these words to come will point to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. In his fascinating book, The Hidden Life of Trees, Peter Volaben, drawing from his 20 years as a forester in Germany's great forest, tells us what he came to learn of what takes place in a forest of trees. For the average human being, what takes place in a forest is not a whole lot. 
Trees are these nearly inanimate plants that imperceptibly grow to the sky and move only at the whim of the wind. Yes, of course, they grow their leaves and seeds and shed them every year, much to our dismay if we have to rake them. But other than all that, trees to our naked eye are sort of these singular entities that really don't have much of a life beyond what meets the eye. But I guess when you spend 20 years in a forest and you take the time to explore and probe and reflect and meditate and study, what you discover is that there is a life within and around a grove of trees beyond what meets the eye. So what Mr. Volaben has discovered is that trees have this hidden life and that things are taking place among them that we never imagined. That, that underneath the soil, for example, trees of shared species conspire to intertwine their roots so that not only does each individual tree's root system serve to support each individual tree, but that their roots together intertwine can serve to support the community of trees especially those trees that are vulnerable. Some species of trees, like the acacia tree in Africa, when an animal, like a giraffe, chooses to start chewing on its leaves, first begins to pump from its roots toxic substances into those threatened leaves to keep the animal from continuing to munch them, and then also sends out a scent from itself to all the other trees in the vicinity to warn them that there is this grazer nearby and that they better start pumping their own toxic chemicals into their leaves to avoid the same fate. In some other species of trees, when they are being bothered by some insect pest who wants to munch again on their leaves, will send out a different kind of scent that attracts others' pests whose job it is to devour the first pests. On and on it goes, Mr. Verleben tells us about this life of trees that maybe most of us didn't even imagine existed, this hidden life that helps us to understand the deeper nature of what appears to be so simple and still. There's a lot more than what meets the eye. Trees are not the only species in this world that harbor a hidden life. Marine biologists tell us more and more about the hidden signals and languages that travel back and forth between aquatic creatures. Zoologists can tell you about the hidden life of animals and the complex nature of their relationship with each other. So much happens underneath and beyond what the naked eye can see. There is this interrelatedness that our good friends, the scientists, are helping us to discover. When Edward Lorenz, for example, a meteorologist of a half century ago was using a computer model to come up with a long-term weather forecast, decided to, to tweak the model a fraction of a fraction of a fraction, an almost imperceptible change, but what resulted was a vastly different long-term forecast. And he realized that a slight variation of factors changes the outcome. It's where we get the butterfly effect theory from. The, the smallest actions, the smallest imperceptible actions can result in the largest of outcomes. That the flap, as the theory goes, that the flap of a butterfly's wings over Africa can set off a chain reaction to the atmosphere to start a tornado spinning over Kansas. A butterfly and a tornado are actually connected in the hidden life of the atmosphere. So what surrounds us is this hidden life of creation, this deeper reality that explains the greater meaning and purpose behind the world's order. 
It makes me wonder if that isn't something that Jesus was trying to point us to when in the last hours of his life, as recorded in John's Gospel, Jesus continued to speak over and over again about the relationship he had with the two other persons of what we now call the Trinity, the Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit. That God was not a one-person God, that God was not some uniform being up there, God was not simply the big guy in the sky, but that God was actually the interplay, the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, creator, redeemer, and sustainer. That, that in some mysterious way, God was within God's self a relationship between these three persons. And that if we had any curiosity about the hidden life of the universe, the hidden life of being human, we might first start by realizing that God is not singular. God is plural, not plural in the sense of there being three gods, but plural in the sense that the core of who God is is this relationship of three persons, this love shared between the persons of the Trinity, that deep, deep, deep reality of being alive is in our relationship with the love expressed within God, the love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Richard Rohr reminds us, that the energy in the universe is not in the planets or in the protons or in the neutrons, but the energy of the universe is in the relationship between these things. Perichoresis is the expensive word that theologians use to describe the nature of God. Remember that word, it will impress somebody at a cocktail party, perichoresis. Perichoresis is the Greek word made up of two parts, peri, which means circle, from which we get the word periscope and perimeter, and choresis, from which we get the word choreography, dance, that God is the circle dance. God is this perichoresis, the circle dance of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this community of mutuality, and that all of creation, all of existence, all of the universe contains this hidden life. That we are not individuals, as much as we might want to think we are, but that we are who we are only in relationship with one another. Einstein was onto this when he came up with his theory of relativity that the law of the universe has something to do with relativity to the speed of light. In spiritual terms, the law of the universe, the hidden life of the universe, has everything to do with our relationship to the love that begins and extends out of the interplay of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. C.S. Lewis called it the great dance. The invisible reality of life is this dance with God, this dance between the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And it's in this dance and through this dance that God seeks to draw all of his creation into his life of relationship. It makes me think of this wedding reception I went to a long time ago. Now, I've been to a lot of wedding receptions, as you can imagine, and I have developed a fairly discerning ear for what makes a good reception band and what makes a bad reception band. And at this particular reception, we were being subjected to a bad reception band, worse than bad, 
awful. The dance floor was empty because no music was being played that anyone could dance to. So there we sat holding our ears when up from one of the tables came an older gentleman walking across the dance floor. It was the father of the groom, as it turned out, and in his sights was a young woman, a relative, I imagine, and he grabbed her hand, and he took her out under the dance floor, and they began dancing to the undanceable music. And there they were, this couple dancing to the undanceable music, and and, then he could see we were staring at these two wandering around the dance floor, and so that propelled him to go grab a young guy and dragged him onto the floor, and the three started dancing, not very well, mind you, but they were dancing and before we knew it he grabbed another couple and grabbed another couple and before too long the dance floor was full of people laughing and dancing laughing at the bad music and dancing in the spirit of the father and what started as one of the worst receptions turned in to the greatest of parties it makes me wonder that when Jesus talks about the parakoresis, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, if he isn't this dancer who's trying to pull us onto the dance floor, that that's what it really means to live. That that's, that's the hidden life of the universe. It makes sense that so much of Jesus' teaching had to do with relationships, right? When he said to forgive each other 70 times 7, what he was saying was that to not, to not forgive was to go against the hidden life of God, when in turn, it is the hidden life of humans. If you choose to be out of relationship with another, it's like trying to defy the law of gravity, and gravity always wins. When, when Jesus reaches across all the taboo lines and touches the untouchables, he's saying that he needs to be in relationship with him because that's who God is. When he says that when our neighbor asks for our coat, we're supposed to give him our shirt as well, or when he asks you to go one mile, we're supposed to go the second mile too. He's saying that's all about the perichoresis. It's all about the dance. When Jesus is strapped to the cross and the chief priests and the teachers of the law are ridiculing him from below, Jesus looks up to the Father and says, Father, what are we going to do about these people? What are we going to do? And Jesus answers his own question and says, How about we forgive them? How about we invite them, whether they want it or not? How about we invite them into this dance of love? Everything is relative to the dance of love. It's what came to mind when I read about the death of Stephen McDonald a couple years ago. Stephen McDonald was that New York City policeman who many years before had been gunned down by a 15-year-old, left a paraplegic for the rest of his life. And after 18 months in the hospital, he finally came home and was there in time for the baptism of his little boy who had been born shortly after the shooting. And it was then, he said, in the moment of baptism that it dawned on him this hidden life that the connection he had to his little toddler boy being baptized was the same connection he had to that adolescent boy who took so much from him. And so he went on TV and said that he loved both boys because they're in the dance together. 
And that's what set Officer McDonald on a mission to speak about forgiveness and reconciliation the rest of his life. Because it's all about the stance. And isn't that the great news, that everything is relative to the perichoresis. Everything is relative to the dance of love. So when Jesus gathers his disciples on that night, that last night, that last night when all hell was going to break loose and they were preparing to abandon Jesus, Jesus sits with his disciples and says to them, it's okay, it's okay, because right here, right now, we are surrounded. We're surrounded by the Father who has many rooms. We're surrounded by the Advocate, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. We are surrounded by the one who forms the circle, the sun. And this circle encircles you and will continue to try to pull you together every single day and will teach you, teach you, teach you the hidden life of being human. And at the end of the day, it's all relative to that. Don't you wonder if heaven isn't going to be like one of those good Jewish weddings where at the end of it all, they gather in a circle, holding arms and hands together, and they're singing Hava Nagila, and they sing, and they dance, and they look into each other's eyes, and, and because they're family, they, they've got their little gripes, oh, of course, they've got their little grudges, but now they're in this circle, and they're dancing, and they're laughing, and they're singing, and they're giving thanks, because they have, they have each other. It's not about me. It's about us. It's not about you. It's about the dance. The hidden life of being human.